Some things come naturally to SAFM, like being SA's news and information leader. SAFM, 104 to 107. Welcome to my good friend, Steve Vermeulen. Hello, Steve. Shadow, how are you doing? I'm good and very excited to have this opportunity to talk to you again, especially about... Uh, <laughs> That is my favorite topic, or one of them. One of them. I I, I think you heard now what I read about Mahatma Gandhi. Yes, indeed. Keep your thoughts positive, because thoughts become things. So they say, choose the right ones. Don't become things. What the Mahatma is talking about is that our thoughts ultimately become our destiny. Now we choose our destiny by the choices that we make, which are obviously informed by our thoughts. So everything to do with the stuff we can control. So we can control our thoughts, we can control our actions, we can control our behavior, we can control those things that our mind has power over, but nothing else. And when you say we can control everything or what, what, what's in our power to do, yes. because sometimes we're not controlling our actions, we're responding to somebody else's actions. Yes, but we still are choosing our own response, even if that is a habitual response. So I probably, in, in my lifetime, have developed two or three habitual responses um, if I'm not very aware. So if you come along and push those buttons, then I'll just react with one of those. I'm still choosing that response, even yeah. although it is something that is unconscious. And, and not necessarily something you choose to do, but you choose the response. Uh, yes, we always have power over our responses. We can also sometimes choose not to respond, mm. and sometimes we can choose not to choose by saying things like, well, you know, I had no choice. We always have a choice. Sometimes we just don't like the choices that we're facing, so we choose not to choose in those situations. So, last week, after I spoke with you, yes. I had a young lady who's doing absolutely well in her career right now. Yes. And she uses, she says, she uses vision boards, and those vision boards have been the ones that have informed her career success. Yes. Um, and I remember talking to you, and you said, nothing like vision boards, nothing like that would work. And they don't. Uh, that lots of people, like the, the, the young woman you interviewed, believe that they work because they're attributing their success to the wrong thing. So they may have developed vision boards and they may have done all of those things, but they actually got on with the act, the work of doing the doing. Mm. So the opposite would be if vision boards really worked, we could then develop them and we could sit on our couch and just imagine them and visualize <laughs> and do all the things that people tell you will manifest stuff in your life. But we know that it won't. So we know that a vision board is nothing more than just a pretty picture. And it may have, the only benefit that it may have is that it may focus you, but I'm, I think that's even questionable. Because all of this stuff started, and lots of people believe that this is, is the power that we have. And I think that it has so much appeal to people because it's very hard for us to believe that our lives are not significant. So it's very hard for us to believe that in the bigger picture of things that we don't matter. So when somebody comes along and they're prancing all over a big stage somewhere, and there's lots of them, lots of, there's lots of Americans coming yeah. here to South Africa at yeah. the moment, and I call them foxes in cheat clothing, because that's all they are, is, is con artists um, for the most part. 
they're all capitalizing on something that started with Napoleon Hill in the 1930s. Napoleon Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich, which is a book that a lot of people have forgotten, but all the people like the T. Harv Eckers and people like that who, who sprout this stuff, the mind power stuff, mm. they're all claiming that it's their own when in fact they're actually just paraphrasing what Napoleon Hill said. Now, Napoleon Hill claims to have, we don't even know if it's true whether he did or not, he claims to have interviewed a whole lot of people of the era mm -hmm. in, and to find out what made them successful. And then he mixed this all with a lot of religious belief and mm -hmm. put this out in books that then have now become what we believe will be the secret, for example. Yes. So the secret was the, the, the movie and the book and everything that came after it. It's certainly not a secret and it's nothing new at all. This law of attraction, for example. Now, there's, uh, our thoughts are, are, we're told by these people that our thoughts are magnetic. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing is that if our thoughts were truly magnetic, our thoughts exist in our head, which means that every time we walk past a large metal object like our fridge <laughs> or our motor car, that our heads would stick to these to these things and they don't so we know from a scientific point of view that this is just out of bunkum but, but Steph I, I, what makes us so gullible because as you say <laughs> it's become such a big business and we yes. all uh, are doing our vision boards we all try yes. to think positively in, 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 you know, in our jobs because we're told every day that thoughts do become things yes. so if you choose the right ones you will be successful uh, uh, you will possibly even win the lotto Yes. It's the same thing that makes children want to believe in Santa Claus and Easter Bunny. And I call it magical thinking. And when we grow older, there's very little magical thinking in our mundane lives. Now, where we could draw the so-called need to fulfill this, this magical thinking is from our own imagination. One of the big problems is when we're gullible to all of this stuff and we believe that if we just think this stuff correctly, we actually do worse. So it's not just innocent. It actually makes us do worse. So we end up even more frustrated and angry, which are feelings that we don't like. So we then think we must be doing it wrong. Yes. So we spend more time doing this stuff. But the research actually shows, there's 20 years of research by somebody called Gabrielle Uttingen, and she's a, she's a German, but she works in the, in the U.S., and she set out to prove that if this stuff works, she wanted to know why it works, or how it works, more mm -hmm. to the point. And what she found with things like vision boards and visualization, etc., that while you are doing all of that, you're using the, the actual energy that you need to get a job done. So you using the very energy that you need to get motivated, you're wasting it on pointless activities like visualizing or developing vision boards. Mm. So you end up doing worse is the problem with it. Then the people will tell you, well, you just haven't done it right, so you think you must do it more. Oh, my so goodness. all we're doing is wasting a lot of time on activities that end up making us frustrated, angry, and feeling even more powerless is the problem. So, now... You are telling me that my talking to the universe, yes, <laughs> as as I would do every morning to be good for gratitude or whatever the case may be, um, I'm, I'm grateful for all I have that should manifest into a, more of what I have or a, a peaceful existence. Is what you're hoping, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you saying that doesn't work. It doesn't I'm exist. I'm talking to yourself more, more, more than anybody else. 
Now, gratitude is a great value to hold. But one of the things when we then believe we need to be grateful, let's say, to the universe or the big dispenser in the sky, who's going to, you know, if we think hard enough, will be delivered on our new Maserati, which we know is not going to happen. <laughs> but we believe that if we're very grateful to this universe or whoever, that we think more will be delivered. We need to be very grateful to the people who make a difference in our lives because that's what makes us feel good as human beings. So instead of talking to ourselves in the mirror, we could go a lot further if we actually say to people, you know, I really treasure it when you do this or I like it when you do that and all those sorts of things because then we spread a feel-good around the people who do matter and to whom we matter in our lives. But saying it to the universe is, is literally just talking to ourselves. And it's interesting that you raise this because the mega churches have also gone down this road, the Joel Osteens and all of those in America, mm. and we have a lot of that in South Africa. Now, the interesting thing is how the cherry picking of the, the Bible has changed. I'm pretty middle-aged, and that's quite a nice euphemism for being quite old. <laughs> but when I was growing up, it was all about the meek shall inherit the earth. And I do sort of remember reading, because I have read the Old Testament and the New, and I do remember reading sayings like that, you know, for a rich man to get into hev to heaven would be more impossible, as impossible as the camel passing through the eye of a needle. <laughs> now, all of that's been turfed out with what I call prosperity theology. So this is being taught that now God is going to deliver or, or you know, the pastor the pastorpreneurs, I call them, which I think is purely a way for people to justify their own accumulation of wealth. Mm -hmm. Because if the meek shall inherit the earth, then what on earth are pastors like Jimmy Swaggart or TV pastorpreneurs earning $120 million per annum? And what are they doing with that in tax havens like the churches? Mm -hmm. The bigger problem that we have in South Africa and in America, it's a similar problem, is that to prove that this works, you've got to look like it's working. So you need to, to drive that new car and you need mm. those new outfits mm. and you need those fancy shoes, which all that's happening is that not only are people who are using this getting frustrated and angry and feeling powerless, they're also getting more into debt. Now we have a huge problem in South Africa with over-indebtedness. There are sort of 18 to 19 million uh, people who have debt, including mortgages. Nine million South Africans have a problem on their credit record. Mm -hmm. So I always say to people, if I'm, I'm working in groups, I say, well, if it's not you, if you're not in debt or has, has a problem with debt, it's the person sitting next to you. Because every single person, second person in South Africa who's got access to credit has a problem. Now, why is this? Because if the Lord isn't delivering or if the universe isn't delivering, then I've still got to look like I deserve. And if God tells me that I deserve to be rich because I've worked hard or because I'm devoted or then those poor women who are carrying water and carrying firewood, you know, work harder than all of us. And they should be far richer and far wealthier because they're far more deserving than somebody like Donald Trump, for example. Mm -hmm. Steph, Steph, you know, I, I wonder then when you take it there, I think of of the, the country's economy or the industry, you know, like corporation economy and doing well or not doing well, um, maybe that is what affects us in, in, into, in, into believing that we, we, we need to think positively uh, when, yes. when we are jobless, in fact. And it is something that 
it started and, and business really took up this call a lot in the 1990s. You may remember that there was the big uh, business fashion was about re-engineering, which literally just meant laying a whole lot of people off. Mm. So business would run these type of courses that you are now responsible for your destiny. So if we abuse you for all your, your years of service and loyalty, etc., we'll abuse you, we'll lay you off, but actually you must be responsible for that. Why did you manifest this is the question that is yeah. often asked. Yeah. Now, one of the things, one of the other problems with believing in this illusion that we have some control over our lives or some control over our destiny, etc., which we really don't, is the other part of the problem in terms of our own human ingenuity. If I've got a problem and I believe it's going to be solved by some other agency outside of myself, I'm not using my own human ingenuity or my own creativity to actually innovate or develop something that's going to solve that problem. Because I just believe, well, that's going to happen anyway. I'll just be presented with this new idea. Mm. Now, lots of people have heard of the Ubers and the Airbnbs and all these multimillionaires. They didn't just one day think, oh, I'll start Uber. That'll go worldwide. They started a taxi service that was more convenient. Mm. And it landed up being the Uber that we know. So all of these, these stories that are trotted out are not proof of that this works. All they are is proof that grit and determination and all the things that we know about success, that they still work, no matter whether you're positive or negative. Now, another problem with always being positive is this belief that no matter what, that we always have to have a positive attitude, which means that we're probably lying to ourselves at least 50 to 60% of the time. Because when I go down, if I have a, a down moment, that's a time of, of self-reflection and introspection and thinking about the choices that I've made. And may, maybe I need to tweak some of those choices. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to stop giving out to so many people all the time. Maybe I need to just time to recharge, for example. Now, if I'm thinking positive all the time, I'm not even hearing those messages. Mm. So we're just overriding all the important messages in our lives that deal with the reality of our existence, which is something that we really don't want to face at all. <laughs> but so, those are the messages that can actually help us recharge now, go on holiday, do what you need to do, go and you know, have, a, have time out. You've been working too hard or too much or thinking too much, or then we don't solve the problems. So when you deal with reality, which is, is far more interesting, funnily enough, than all of this stuff, because it's far more satisfying, and we deal with the reality of what our brain is actually doing, and there's lots more information now to teach us about what our brain is doing, then we can start to learn to live happily in our own skin or comfortably in our own skin. So the idea of giving, because you'll receive more if you give... <laughs> <laughs> give your time or give everything you have in the home and share yep. with other people, then, you know, the, the universe will, will, you know, it'll manifest in you getting a lot of what you're giving back. Uh, Stephanie, is there a way now, uh, if, if one has started living this vision board life, yes. um, how do they reverse it? And if they need to reverse it, because some, some may have been far gone because it's been around for a long time <laughs> and a lot more people are, are saying thank you to the universe for what they have right now yes. and want more. How do you reverse it and how do you understand that you need to reverse it and it doesn't work? I, I think that 
People won't believe me because I'm one lone voice in amongst all of these powerful, loud, noisy messages that have been out there for a long time. People will realize that it won't work when they still wake up in the morning and they're still feeling frustrated, angry, they're in debt, and their lives are a misery. Eventually, we get back to ourselves. I myself have gone down these roads. I've done the spiritual. I've done the mind power thing. I've done the vision boarding. I've been on these courses. I've, you know, In my lifetime, I've done all of that. And one day I woke up and I went, you know what, I'm still here mm. with all my baggage, with all my same stuff, and maybe there's something else I need to do. And the something else I needed to do was to actually, that for me, because of the job that I do, I have to be as clear of baggage as possible. So I took myself into therapy a long time ago. And bouts of therapy worked because therapy deals with what's really going on in your lives. Mm. Now, if lots of people may not need to go to therapy, but they need to start working with what is real and if we start working with what is real it usually means we have to change what we're feeding into our brain now I've just a bit of, of self-promotion because that's what I have learned from the people that sell from the stage is mm. that my new book called personal intelligence has none of the stuff in it none of the magical stuff it has the real stuff and the real science in it and if we start working with the messages of our emotions that I'm unhappy why am I unhappy I'm not and it's not about the universe hasn't delivered or I'm disappointed or I'm not deserving or it's got nothing to do with that. I'm unhappy because I'm not making things happen in my own life. Mm. So then we start to look at, okay, what do I need to do to change this state of unhappiness? It's seldom coming from outside. It's usually coming from within. And when we start working with our emotions to then look at, okay, this is real information. Now I'm exhausted. I need, to, I need time out. I need to reach that's real information all the other stuff we call our thinking brain the rational brain but it's very very far from rational because it likes all these things like this magical thinking it loves it can't get enough of it because it's entertaining so we need to know the difference between thinking about things that are as exciting as when we were thinking about what we wanted Santa to deliver for Christmas or for you know any of those other the other agents or people who who, you know, didn't have a, a Christian upbringing or Christian slanted upbringing. But all of those things about the, the magical, the elves and the goblins and all of those things that we liked as children, how can we then use our imagination more productively? And we've got to know what's our imagination and what is real. And if the reality is that I'm broke and I'm thinking myself positively through it, it's not going to change the fact that I'm broke. So let me start just actually getting enough money to eat this month. So start in those small steps, but start working with reality. I'm thinking of people that chant things every morning. Every yes, evening. and chanting and singing, and it's one of the warnings about if you go into any crowd situation, all of these things are, are what we've learned from crowd manipulation. So chanting, singing, uh, dancing, or if you get into a seminar and they get you to stand up and to shout things and run around, and all of those things make us feel good, but it's a temporary thing. So if you're chanting and if you're singing and if you're doing all of those things, it will make you feel good temporarily. Then there's also the big movement or the big fashion in psychology at the moment is this mindfulness, which is mm. as, as Buddhist practices. And 
and meditation, I'm not a meditator, so it doesn't really work for me. I prefer to get my mind to switch off when I'm doing exercise. So I'll go for a walk, what I call a moving meditation or a cycle or something, so that my mind stops being overactive in the thinking department. But lots of people do get value from clearing their minds through meditation or through chants or all of those things. But those are techniques that we're using to stop our brain from overthinking everything because that's what's exhausting us. So I hear you saying personalize those methods to suit yourself, but only when you understand what you're going through and understand your situation. So there's a unique way of utilizing uh, these services that are available to you. I think that a lot of them are just entertainment. So developing a vision board, I think, is for people who are like me who can't do art. So you do all the collage that you used to do when you were a kid. But putting it up on your fridge or in your, on your bedroom mirror or anything, not going to, doesn't have a power in and of itself. So affirmations we know don't work. That they, they, that all of those sorts of things are, are just, you know, training your brain in, in certain ways. But if you just, the, the big distinction is, that the only person that I have control over, the only life I have some control over is me. Mm. I can't influence the universe. I can't put messages out there that are going to deliver things. I can't manifest anything. The only thing I can do is do things through my own, the use of my own energy. So if I produce something, I've produced that. I didn't sit and, and think about it and manifest it and blah, blah, blah. So if we start off doing things like people who started Uber, they wanted a more efficient taxi service, and then see where we can grow those things, that's just normal business. Mm -hmm. And all of these other things actually are distractions from the normal course of making our lives work because the brain likes distractions, the brain likes entertainment. That's why we go to the movies or spend our lives watching YouTube or all of those (laughs) things that are now available because that's what the brain likes. It likes to be entertained. Anything new will do. So so how do you know the the guilt that comes with all of this when things are not happening the way you know you wish for them and people beat themselves up for it you know why is it not happening how do you get rid of the niggling is all about somebody I believe that I'm totally responsible for all of this it's also that it used to be that we we kept up the the saying was keeping up with the Joneses so if my neighbors got more than I have then I feel bad today those Joneses are celebrities that we're seeing on television so we're coming from a, a western culture where we believe that unless we are super successful as in known to the world that we're not doing things right and that makes us feel not good enough, which makes us feel guilty. So if we look at that guilt and then start looking at, well, what is it that I want? And if we start looking at what is it that I personally want, not what I think that I should have because I should be super famous, we're not going to be because we're not prepared to put in the effort that it takes to do so. So if something is a quick fix or we believe it's a quick fix, if it's too good, we we know the saying, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Steph, I'm going to have to let you go now. Thank you so much for your time, and everyone can talk to you on your website. They'll find more information. But it's been amazing talking to you again, and I'm hoping that we've shed some light on on the subject and people can, you know, go and find more information for themselves. And thank you, Shadow. I appreciate it. Lots of love. Thank you. And to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, That's
That's www.e2sa.co.za. And here's Nom Samdluli with news headlines. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. Khaledi Temasetokha is a co-author of The Culinary Journey of South African Foods, and she joins me now on the phone. Hello, Khaledi. Good afternoon to you and SAFM listeners. Khaledi, this book, I mean, how long did it take you to put together? Because it has sort yes. solved a lot of my problems about <laughs> where I got different tastes for different foods in South yes. Africa from. It's a journey that started a long time ago. If you can remember, we had the first publication with the CSIR at around 2010, mm-hmm. and that was our first book. And 10 years later, we had another book, which is the one that you are referring to now, mm-hmm. A Culinary Journey of South African Indigenous Foods. And... Um, it has been an ongoing research, mm-hmm. because if you can remember, with the first book, we had only four ethnic groups, yes. and now we have added these 11 ethnic groups that are represented uh, in the book. So it has been a long journey, a slow journey, but yeah, and at the end, we got to do this. Do you know, what, what, it, what stands out for me in the book is how similarly no matter how diverse we are in the country and the different yes. uh different backgrounds we have our we food our food is very similar exactly exactly it you will find um variation from one ethnic group to the other um some you, you, in limpopo you have the tonga people who use a lot of peanuts they can mm-hmm. ground peanuts and put in meat and put in sauces and put in veggies. And you go to the Ndebele, you find that um, they like a lot of sorghum. Mm-hmm. They still use sorghum and in many different uh, foods that they prepare. And, yeah, it, it's just the similarities are there and they are very distinct. Maybe because you also intermarry. Yes, yes. I mean, like the dumpling. Just all of us make the dumpling, but we made it in different ways. And you mentioned sorghum. Kosas also use sorghum for kumadana, you know. Aha. And 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 I I I and the beauty of it for me was I didn't know what these dishes were called in different languages. <laughs> awesome. At least you have the subtitles in English so that you understand what is in the uh, recipe. But yeah, we we wanted to keep to keep this at at the next level so that we don't lose what they are called, what our foods are called. And, yeah, we just mention what it is that you find in the recipe. So mostly people would use what they would grow um, or what their soil provided for them uh, to, to, to design recipes, you know, that the whole family would eat as opposed to, um, go and buy from from another tribe, do you think? Yes, you are very right. Um, you remember during the rainy seasons or during the harvesting season, you'll find these, these uh, food crops that you get, like Lerothe, it's a wild melon. Mm-hmm. In Bapedi, we get that after we have harvested and the food is there. And you would find that we start eating Lerothe, 
when we are finished with the mealies because it's something that stays longer in the in the felt or in the farm. Mm-hmm. So yes, we use we use what we have and different areas uh, produce different crops and that's what we we've put together to this book. I wonder though why we cook our basic meal which is papa or yes. you know we cook it differently and I wondered why because depending on on which part of the country you're from whether you're Bedi or Zulu or Kosa, you, your pap is always different. Do we understand why? <laughs> um, I'm not sure because I, I understand what you mean. We have putu in with the Zulus. Mm-hmm. It could be that um, they enjoy eating their pap with milk. I see. Or ma- amas, mm-hmm. and uh, that maybe makes a it makes sense to them and with the baby there is even a different way of dishing that food it must be like round and perfect (laughs) (laughs) you know it must be round it must perfect you call it makaku so it's it's perhaps it's just our innovativeness around the stable food that we have yeah is is also you know this is porridge with with its milk yeah. porridge, yeah. but 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 it's also you know not heard of. But as you say, we intermarried, and you know the brides would bring something new to the family, and and this is how families kind of came together because we were sharing food, and I was very excited to see one of the most popular, and I want to believe I don't know if we have uh, the same meal in in outside of South Africa, mobani worms and. Um, I think that is that is an exotic food of Africa. Mm. You do find it in Botswana, Zimbabwe, but um, in South Africa you find it in uh, Limpopo, where there is um, the vendors and the zongas. And yes, it's unique. You also find it around December. They start harvesting around December, so January you have mopani everywhere, and it's, it is a delicacy. So uh, uh, do we only find the, the worms in those parts of the country, or can they be found anywhere else? I don't think the Kosa have the mopani, and the Zulus do not have the mopani. Um, you, do, you find it in Limpopo area. Only? Yes. Wonderful. So, mm. where, what what are we going to do with this book? Where is it found? And I love the fact that, you know, it's a wonderful gift. Firstly, I think for every home, because it's affordable. Fo- it's affordable foods, and there's different ways of cooking them. I mean, you can just pick leaves, but you need to know what to pick in the bush, right? Yes, definitely. How do you and know what leaves work and are edible and what are not? Because morojo, I, I grew up on morojo, but I don't know where my mother got it from. Um, I think that is what we're trying to do with the book. We want to show you which is Morocco, which is not. Because if you see at the end of the book, we listed the pictures of different Morochos and these pictures. You can see that this is Lerotu, this is Amaranthas, which we call it Tepe, and um, that helps you also understand that nutritional value that you find in our food. I mean, obesity is rife nowadays, mm, but mm. I don't think you find it in the rural areas mm. because of the scarcity of food and also they use what they grow. Um, yeah. 
So, so you, yeah, no, you do show the leafy vegetables that, and, and morojos that we can get, and also yes. the different edible insects you show, apart yes. from the mopani or masonja. Like you know. tongofila, tongolifa. Tongolifa. Yeah. And I've seen this bug, but it's a stink bug, right? It is. I've seen this bug, but I've never known you could eat it. Yeah, you can eat it. How do you? With lots of protein. How do you cook it? can fry it. As it like <laughs> Yeah, just toss it in a pan like how you'd fry um onions, mm-hmm. just toss it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. The vendors love it. But why is it called a stink bug? Does it stink? Yes. When it's grown, when it's fully grown, but when it's still young, I think um it's it doesn't stink. So you catch it when it's young? Yes. Wow. Wow, okay, stink bug. And I've seen the stink bug. I've never thought that we would eat it. And then, of course, we've got the locust, which which is everywhere. Yes. But you know what? I grew up in the rural areas, and we knew which one to eat and which one not to. There was this one called uh, Mampati. We knew very well that you don't eat Mampati, but you can eat Montoro. So our elders taught us but not everyone who grew up in the rural areas would know this. Um, some of us, you know, got to understand um, the indigenous foods and what to eat and what not to eat. So we just want to give the people the liberty of understanding that there is more food in Africa than what we see and what we call um, our foods now. But people have been eating this different um, cuisine and um, the, in the rural areas we still eat this food well I'm glad it comes at this time when food is, is, is a challenge you know people can't put food on the table every day and I'm hoping that uh, those that can get this book can, can um, at least use some of the recipes because these are things that just grow wildly everywhere and we've, yes. we've got the Tswanaway, the Sutuway, the Pediway, Tsonga, Zulu, Ndebele, Swati, Venda, Kosa, Khoisan, and Afrikaans recipes throughout here. So I, I think I think it's a good book that we we really, really need right now in the country. And congratulations to you and your co-writer. Um, and you. hopefully, hopefully, where do we find the book? Uh, in all the good bookstores. Okay. Uh, you can also find it on our website at indizafoods.co.za. Indiza Foods. Yeah, Indiza with ZA, Indiza. Indizafood.co.za. Fantastic. Yes. Thanks, Kaledi. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you have, for having us. Yeah, no, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's a culinary journey of South African indigenous foods. That's what it's called. But in big letters, you first see South African indigenous foods, and it's a collection of recipes of indigenous foods prepared by generations of women. Good to have right now. When we come back, uh, we hear about the All From One campaign and exhibition.